0: Galatians chapter number 2. Take your Bibles with me tonight. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse number 20, a familiar uh, verse of Scripture, but we're going to travel a couple different places, several different places tonight uh, in Scripture. And as you're turning again, I want to say uh, how much I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I am excited about what God's already done today, what He's going to do tonight, and I am looking forward to what He's going to do these next several days in this conference. So don't forget to pray that God would do a work in hearts and lives. And by the way, as you pray that, Pray that it starts in your own heart and life because that's where it always has to start. So pray that God will really do a work um, and, and expect, expect God to do something in your own heart, your own life, and the life of this church through this missions conference. Tonight I want to talk about the three I ams of the Apostle Paul. Now you say, what do you mean the three I ams of the Apostle Paul? Well, I just want to let you know ahead of time, there's actually 58 different I am's of the Apostle Paul. But pastor said, I had to be done before midnight. So I decided to get rid of a bunch of them and narrowed it down to three. Uh, Three I am's of the Apostle Paul. There are 58 different times where Paul says, I am, and then gives a description about himself. Something about his ministry or his personal life, whatever. I have picked out three of those I am's of the Apostle Paul that really, as you'll see as we go through them tonight, form really a synopsis of his life. And as I go through these three I am's of the Apostle Paul, as we consider the Great Commission and what God would have us to do, I want to ask you this question. Can you say with Paul these three I am's? For instance, Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, Paul says, I am, there's our two words, what? Crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. In a little while we'll look at Romans 1.16 where Paul says, I am not ashamed. And then finally as Paul comes towards the end of his life, we'll go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul says, I am now ready to be offered. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Lord God, thank you so much for your word and what it has to say to us. I thank you for examples like the Apostle Paul. And uh, I pray that tonight as we look at his life that we would apply these things to our own lives and that you would truly, truly do a work tonight in my heart and life. Lord, I pray that your word would sink deep into my heart and take root and bring forth fruit. And I pray the same for each and every listener tonight as well. Or please be honored and glorified now through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. And I, I assume that probably a good number of you could finish that verse quoting it without even looking at it. And we know uh, that Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. But I ask this question, don't answer out loud, but just in your own heart. What does it really mean to be crucified with Christ? We know the verse, we can quote it, and we talk about the importance of being crucified with Christ, but if we had to put a definition to what it really means to be crucified with Christ, how would we define it? How would we describe it? Now, I've heard all different kinds of things in my lifetime. Um, You know, there are some people who pick um, the, the funniest little things, I mean, in Alaska, someone there might would say, well, listen, preacher, I know what it means to be crucified with Christ. You see... I live next to this dog team and they bark all night long. And that's my cross to bear. So I know what it is to be crucified with Christ. No, (laughs) that has nothing to do with being crucified with Christ. Um, I could also talk about maybe the opposite of being crucified with Christ. Sadly, there's a, a thing called radical grace. and The idea is this, that hey, It really doesn't matter how I live my life. I can really sin as much as I want to because God's grace is amazing. And truly God's grace is amazing. But the way they apply that and say is it's so amazing and so wonderful that His grace covers everything and it really doesn't matter how I live. You know, it's interesting. There's nothing new under the sun. It's the same thing that Paul fought in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer was what? God forbid! God forbid! If we're dead to sin, how are we going to live in that sin? So that's the opposite of being crucified with Christ. But again, since I need to have you out here before midnight, let's narrow this down a little bit. What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Here's what I would give as a short definition of being crucified with Christ. It is identification with Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. You say, well, that makes sense. Now, how so? Let me give you a few examples. Number one, there is suffering involved with the cross. Are we willing to suffer for Jesus Christ? Philippians 1.29 says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, and I like that part of the verse, but then the verse says this, but also to suffer for His sake. As you look ahead to the next missions years, you look ahead to the rest of your life and you understand what God would have you do for missions, are you willing to suffer if He calls on you to suffer as you act in obedience to do that which He's asked you to do, whether it's praying, giving, or going. Identification with suffering. Number two, identification with the shame that is involved with the cross. You know, the apostles left after they had been beaten rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. You know, as God lays on your heart to witness to that coworker this week, that friend, that relative, you say, "Well, man, they're going to make fun of me, and this is going..." You know, are you willing to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ? We could also mention here self-denial. There is self-denial involved in the cross. Jesus had to deny himself. He said, "Not my will, but thine be done," as he prayed to the Father. And for you and I, when it comes to missions, are we willing to practice self-denial? What about when God lays that figure on your heart, that amount that He would have you to give on a regular basis to missions? You know, that might mean that you're not going to have the latest, greatest, biggest, most wonderful new technology as soon as it comes out on the market. (laughs) You know, you might just have to put some of that off a little bit. Deny self just a little bit. Why? Because God's laid on your heart to give to missions. Are you willing to identify with the death of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to be crucified with Him? And of course, I have to mention this one. Sacrifice is involved in the cross. Are we willing to sacrifice? Romans 12:1? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which Paul says is just a reasonable service. So what are you going to do when God lays on your heart? You know what? I need to pray more for missionaries. And I'm going to spend extra time in prayer. You know what? That means we're going to have to sacrifice doing some other things so that we can be obedient and spend the time in prayer that God's laid on our hearts to spend in prayer for missions. Can we say with Paul tonight, I am crucified with Christ I ran across this some time ago. I thought it was good. There are four things that are true of those who hang on a cross. Talking about being crucified with Christ. Four things that are true of those who hang on a cross. Number one, they're facing in only one direction. They're facing in only one direction. Number two, they have lost the freedom to do what they want to do. Number three, they have no future plans of their own. And number four, they know that their time on earth is short. Are those things true of you? Are they true of me? Can we say with Paul, I am crucified with Christ. Notice as Paul goes on there in Galatians 2.20, he says, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. By the way, there's that self-denial. And he says, And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, And gave himself for me. Again, Paul says, Listen, as I think about what Christ has done for me, I think about his death on the cross. How can I do anything else except turn around and give my life back to him? Tonight, as we look at the example of the Apostle Paul, as we think about what Christ would have us do for the cause of worldwide evangelization, can we say with Paul, I am crucified with Christ? Turn with me now to Romans chapter number one and verse number 16. Romans chapter number one, verse number 16. Again, a familiar verse of scripture. Paul says, for, and here's our two words, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. First of all, he was a bold preacher of the word of God. He had to write to Timothy, because Timothy, I think, was a little bit timid. And he said to Timothy, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. And then he goes on and says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And verse 11 says whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. And then Paul says this, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He was a bold preacher. And you know, although as Christians we may not, every one of us, be behind a pulpit and preach the word of God, We are all to proclaim the word of God with our lives and with our mouths. Are we a bold preacher of the word of God? And and by the way, he was a ready preacher. It's interesting. Look back at verse 15 here. Romans 1, another I am of the Apostle Paul. He says, so as as much as in me is, I am what? Ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He was ready to preach the gospel. Listen, as, as a preacher... I mean, I'll preach at the drop of a hat. And honestly, if I have to drop my own hat to do it, I'll do that. That's fine as a preacher, you know. I'm ready to preach. But, you know, even more so, again, as we broaden that application, every one of us as Christians, we we need to be ready to give an answer to the hope that lies within us. And no, we may not have ever taken a 10-week soul-winning course. But, you know, if we know Christ, we can tell others what He's done for us. And at the drop of a hat, be ready to give our testimony and Ask them, hey, would you like to receive Jesus Christ? So Paul was a bold preacher and he was a ready preacher. He he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, why was he not ashamed? I think in this verse, verse 16, we find at least four reasons why he was not ashamed. Number one, he was not ashamed because he was preaching the gospel of Christ. This was not a story about Paul, this was a story about Jesus Christ, his death, his burial and his resurrection. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This was the Christ who had died for him that he was crucified with, the Christ that now lived within him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, not our own gospel, not something we made up. I'm sure, I, I'm sure glad that Pastor Wagner and I didn't have to get together before this conference started and said, hey, let's come up with a gospel. Let's come up with the good news. Let's, let's come up with a, a message that we can give to somebody that really sounds good. No, we didn't have to do that. The message is already there. It's about Jesus Christ. And so as Paul preached, he said, I'm not ashamed because it's not about me. It's all about him. And that's it. That is it. That's who it's all about. Jesus Christ. There's a second reason why he was not ashamed. He was not ashamed because of the power of the gospel of Christ. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You remember that prior to Paul's conversion, he figured he was saved. He was okay. He was he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was as good as it came as far as in human perspective. But you remember on the road to Damascus, that is when he experienced the power of God unto salvation. True salvation. And if you're here tonight and you've received Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you realize you have experienced that same power of God unto salvation for you. And the great thing is that, hey, we can preach this without being ashamed because this is the message of salvation. This is the God of salvation that we're preaching about. This is the Jesus Christ, the one who is the truth the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. And He has the power to give true and real, lasting, eternal life. Oh, we need not be ashamed because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But also, the a third reason why Paul said he was not ashamed. And that's because mankind must believe in order to be saved. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for there's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To everyone that believeth. I mentioned this morning that in order to die and spend eternity in hell, in our lives, all we have to do is nothing. The Bible says we must believe in order to be saved. And I read this morning, John chapter 3, verse 18. Jesus says to Nicodemus, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So how does this apply to you and I and and to Paul as far as not being ashamed? Well, as Paul said this, I believe he was reminded of his responsibility to preach the gospel, to give people the opportunity to hear and to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. You see, later in the book of Romans chapter 10, a classic passage of scripture on missions He says, how then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? That's missions. They're to be sent. Why? So they can preach. Why? So that people can hear. Why? So that they can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon his name for salvation. So we can't afford to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's our responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission so that mankind has an opportunity to believe on Jesus Christ. But there's another reason why Paul was not ashamed, and I I love this one. It's because he knew that the gospel was good for all mankind. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth. Watch, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I love this. You know, have you ever thought about this? It is impossible to witness to the wrong person. It's great. I don't have to go down the street and start picking and choosing. I think, you know, I wonder, huh, I don't know if they're chosen. I don't know if, you know, if I give them the gospel, would God really save them? I don't know. Hey, I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to question because I know that God has said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm so thankful that the gospel is good for one and all. Praise God that I am a whosoever. We need to thank God that we are a whosoever. Paul says, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know when I preach it, anybody who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Hey, what about us? Can we say with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know, we're talking about the Great Commission and our responsibility and the challenge of this week. What is it that God's speaking to you about? I can tell you this right now. Whatever it is He's laid on your heart to do for Him, if you're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will not follow through in obedience to what He's laid on your heart. We need to be like Paul and say, you know what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to do that which God has commanded me to do. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And then turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul says, I am now ready. You know that Paul here is coming towards the end of his life and really kind of, you could almost say these are some of the last words of the apostle Paul. As you come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, look with me there, beginning in verse number 6. I read down through verse number 8. Paul says, for I am, there's our two words, I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. When Paul says that he was ready to be offered, the time of his departure was at hand, he was Ready to die. He was ready to meet the Lord. And again, a good reminder for all of us. It could be tonight. Are we ready to meet the Lord? Paul says, I'm ready. Now, why was Paul ready? Well, quite honestly, verse 7 is kind of like a preacher's dream. It's just got the three points right there, right in that same verse. It's easy. But let's review them. Number one, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. Can, can I remind us of this very simple truth tonight? Christians, we do not live on a playground. We live on a battlefield. We are in a battle, we are in a fight, and we need to continue the fight. And you know, as you think about, again, whatever commitment it is that God lays on your heart to make for missions, are you willing to fight the fight to be faithful to that commitment that He has laid on your heart? Anytime that Christ lays on your heart something to do for Him, especially when it comes to seeing somebody else saved, I can tell you this, Satan's going to be there to fight that commitment that you've made. And he's going to love to come in and throw the seeds of doubt on that commitment that you've made. Don't let him do it. Fight the good fight of faith. Pick up that armor that he has given to us to fight the battle and fight the good fight of faith. Paul says, I've fought a good fight. Number two says, I've finished my course. You know, earlier in Paul's life in Acts 20, 24, he says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says, that's what I want to have happen. I want to finish my course. And I love being able to come to 2 Timothy where he says, I have finished my course. And, you know, As we think about what the writer of Hebrews says, he says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, as you think again about what God would have you do in the area of missions, particularly in the area of giving and the commitment that I trust each one will make concerning giving to missions, can I remind you, you're starting a new course. A course that Jesus is setting out for you and saying, now run this course. And as you begin this course, this new missions year, this new uh, commitment that He's laid on your heart to do in obedience to the Great Commission, would you be determined like Paul to finish the course that He has set out for you and for me? You know, starting is a great thing. And we can all start well. But I want to finish, and I want to finish strong. And as you see that course that He lays out for you, Start with that determination that I'm not just going to start, but that even when those trials, those tribulations, those hard times come, the fight comes along, you're going to continue on through it and go to the finish line. Paul says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. And then number three, he says, I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Now, I want to mention here at least that he has lived a life of faith. He was a man of faith, to be sure. But I believe the context of what he's talking about here, he says, I have remained doctrinally pure. He says, I've remained true to God's word. I've kept the faith. And in a day and time where God's word and the gospel message is being watered down and watered down and watered down again, you and I need to be faithful to God's word. We need to keep the faith. And, you know, as we think about the obligation of getting the uh, gospel to the entire world, you understand that's part of fighting that fight of faith. That's part of keeping the faith. Um, I thought about what Jude wrote in verse three of his book. He said, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. And you know what? When we talk about missions, that's one of the things that we're doing. We are earnestly contending for the faith. Why? Satan doesn't want the gospel message to get around the world. But you and I need to, hey, keep the faith. And it kind of reminds me of that song that sometimes we sing, Join in the battle for truth. Are we willing to join in that battle for truth? And to be able to say with Paul, I have kept the faith. So Paul says, I'm now ready. He's ready because he's fought a good fight. He's finished his course. He's kept the faith. Now, what happens next? Well, verse 8. I love verse 8. He says, henceforth, in other words, because of this, he says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. Aren't you glad the verse doesn't end right there? I really like that last part of that verse. He says, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you love his appearing. Are you ready for him to return? Because I want to remind you, it might be tonight. Let me, let me put this thought in your mind, and I just want you to think about it. I, I would never make this prediction, okay, because I'd be a fool if I tried to predict when Jesus was coming back. But let's just say tonight you knew that Jesus would come in 20 minutes. How would it change the next 20 minutes of your life? I'm afraid there are a lot of Christians who would say, you know what, I'm not quite loving his appearing right now because, you know what, there's brother so-and-so or there's sister so-and-so and we haven't been on good terms. I need to go apologize. I need to go get that right with them. And there might be some Christians who would say, you know what, I thought I was ready for him to come. But, you know, as I think about it in that respect, you know, that person that I've been with for ages on the job. I've just never really truly witnessed to them about salvation. Lord, could you hold off just a little bit longer and let me go witness to them one last time? Do you love His appearing? I'll end with this illustration. I just want you to think about this. I told you I grew up in Pennsylvania and I grew up out in the country. We didn't have a farm, but we did raise our own beef and we had horses and ducks and dogs and chickens and cats, and guinea pigs, and rabbits, and I'm probably forgetting a few other things, but what I'm telling you is we stayed really busy, okay? And in the summertime, when I would come downstairs after getting up in the morning, I would find at my spot quite often at the table a list. My dad worked for the phone company. He, he uh, um, retired from there after 35 years of, of service, but while he worked there, he would get up in the morning, he'd go to work, and he'd leave me a list, and it was a list of jobs that I was supposed to accomplish while he was at work that day. Now, there were certain times I would look down through that list and there were certain jobs I gotta tell you, I kind of enjoyed them. They were they were pretty nice. We had one of the tractors we had was an old John Deere B tractor. Some of you know what I'm talking about, the old put- put- put, put, put you know, with a hand clutch. Some of you know what, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay. But they're fun to drive. And, you know, some of the jobs I got involved using that tractor, so I liked driving that. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was always good. I knew right when my dad was coming home, unless he was working overtime, he'd be home at uh, 40 minutes past the hour. And I knew my dad was coming because where we lived, there was a a meadow down in the back and a creek that went through the meadow and went under this steel grate bridge. And you could almost see the bridge from our back porch. And when my dad was coming home, I knew he was coming home because we had a 68 Chevrolet pickup truck with dual exhaust, glass packs on both sides, and it was three on the tree. Now, again, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. For the, those of you who don't, it was blue, okay, a blue pickup truck, an old Chevy. Okay, it was loud, all right? And, and I would always know when Dad was coming because he'd come down the hill, and as he'd come across that bridge, he'd downshift. You know, you could, I could hear him coming, and then he'd have to go up a little bit further, turn right into the driveway. The driveway, I couldn't see or hear him at that point anymore. Our driveway, I don't know, was an eighth of a mile long. So he would come back that driveway, turn around the corner, up the hill, and then around the barn, and he would come down the driveway. And on those days, I was at the end of the driveway, list in hand. I loved disappearing, because when dad got out of the truck, and my dad to this day is still, he's a man of few words, but when he speaks, he means what He says. And he'd get out of the truck and I'd say, Dad, I finished it. Here's here's the list. They're all crossed off. And my dad would say to me, good job, David. And I was thrilled because now I gave him the list and I went and played the rest of the night. It was great. I loved it. But I do have to tell you that there were times when I would go to the bottom of the steps and go to the table and I'd find that list. And there were some jobs on there that I did not like at all. Um, Have any of you ever had to clean out the chicken house? Okay? I can probably get an amen when I say it's got to be one of the worst jobs in the entire world. If not the worst, it's right up there at top, okay? And when that was on the list, it was like, oh man. And it was interesting because on those days, I could always find something else to do. <laughs> By the way, the something else wasn't necessarily anything bad. It was just something else that kept me from doing what I was supposed to do that day. And, you know, boy, the day would go on and I'd be having a good time doing whatever I was doing. But, you know, at about 40 minutes past the hour, I heard that 68 Chevrolet pickup truck with dual exhaust, glass packs on both sides, downshifting, coming down the hill. It was still blue for those of you who are trying to picture this, Okay. And my dad would turn the corner and he'd come back the driveway. And i got to tell you, on that day, I was not at the end of the driveway waiting on my dad. Because I did not love his appearing. Because I was not ready. I had not cleaned out the chicken house. Now, I won't tell you the rest of the story. Except to tell you that, yes, my dad did eventually find me. <laughs> and, yes, I did clean out the chicken house before I went to bed that night. And I'll, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> But I will tell you this, as I think about the application, our Heavenly Father has given us a list of jobs that we're to be doing. We are to be busy serving Him. One of the main jobs on that list is called the Great Commission. And by the way, I've got to tell you, sometimes there's things that are on our list, things that we're to do for Him that we don't necessarily enjoy as human beings because our human nature doesn't just take to it. But I've got to tell you, we've got to be careful Because we can always find something else to do. You know, it's not necessarily something else wrong or bad, but it's something that takes us away from the main job that he wants us to be doing. And I don't know about you, I I love the sound of a 68 Chevrolet pickup truck with dual exhaust and glass packs on both sides. But there is a sound that I'd love to hear even tonight much more than that. It's the sound of a trumpet. The voice of the archangel. (laughs) And someday as we hear that sound and we stand before Jesus Christ, I don't know about you, but for me, I want to stand before my Lord and I want to hear him say, good job, David. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you know, none of us are going to be able to hear that unless we can say with Paul, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready. These things that we saw in the life of the Apostle Paul, if they're not true in our lives, we can't say that with Paul, hey, I am now ready. And again, as we kind of back up, how can Paul say, I am now ready? Well, he could say that because he could first say, I am crucified with Christ. And then he could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And he did what God asked him to do, and he was a faithful servant. And then as he came to the end of his life, he could say, I am now ready. So again, I ask you this question tonight as you take inventory of your life, as you look to what Christ would have you to do concerning the Great Commission, can you say with the Apostle Paul, I am crucified with Christ. Can you say with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And can you say with Paul, I am now ready to meet the Lord.